Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. And we're live. And this is going to be a good one. There's so much to talk about. Oh my gosh. So my guest today is amazing. She is a marketing technology leader and she's award-winning marketer, a storyteller, very authentic storyteller. We're going to get into storytelling. She also lives for the challenge of translating geek speak and weaving it into industry trends and stories. The CMO of NetNumber, Kim Gibbons. How are you? Hi, Casey. Thanks for having me on board. I'm very excited to speak to you today. Yes. Oh, now this is, it's so cool. Such an honor. CMO, this is our marketing leadership series. So interviewing CMOs, top marketers, thought leaders, and just learning from you. So I'm excited. I got a whole notepad ready. My pen is ready. Now I want to start out by asking you, if there is some crazy marketing strategy out there or just some misconceptions that you want to smash, smash a, smash a myth for us like off the bat. Oh, I have got one that's near and dear to my heart. So as a marketing professional, um, technology is changing. There are new trends. Yeah. Um, so I'm always attending marketing conferences as a way to learn what's new, what's fresh, what's out there, what should I be considering to incorporate into my program. Right. What's disappointing though is that every single conference puts up the big brands. Uh, so you've got the CMOs, the vice presidents of marketing representing the companies that have one, lots of money to spend, and two, lots and lots of resources to put towards the marketing effort. What I want to hear from are small companies like NetNumber, um, medium-sized companies that have you know, a marketing person, maybe two, um, because those are the folks who are really crushing it every day. They've got limited dollars to spend. They've got limited time and personnel to put against marketing, but they're making huge impact for their companies. Those are the folks that I want to hear most from. You know, what a cool, you're right. You're so right. I think the big brands, you're like, Ooh, I know that brand. You know, yes. so maybe that has, there's a draw there. And I even think about, you know, some of the Cheshire clients, we've got some really cool names, but sometimes it's that small, to your point, one woman marketer at a company <laughs> that's crushing and getting all of the things done and implementing that technology and, and learning new things. I want to learn from her, right? Not, yes. you know, I get it. The big name is fun to hear about, but sometimes those stories aren't even as exciting. They don't even even push the boundaries. Exactly. And it's hard to uh, really understand how to apply some of the things that you're hearing from these big brands because you simply don't have millions of dollars to spend in advertising. You don't have a team of 20 people kind of working on branding or working on uh, the customer journey. You know, if you're a one person shop and you've got to prioritize where you're spending your you know, million dollars plus, uh, you've got some hard trade-offs uh, decisions to make. Yeah. Yeah. It, like, 
the drama gets real, you know, the smaller you go. Yes, absolutely. And when you're a small company, you know, you can't be afraid to ask for the discounts and what can you help me do within my limited marketing budget? Uh, And I think you've got to end up being much more creative when you try to uh, go after a show and and, uh, position your speaker. You know, the shows are going to pick the large vendors as opposed to the smaller vendors, thinking that maybe the large vendors are going to be a bigger draw to their show or to their session. So we've got to get creative in how we tell our story and how we position ourselves to really share with the market something that's going to be meaningful and interesting. Yeah, because how many times we we've gotten to a show where it's like, oh, it's some big brand that you probably ate yesterday, you know? Exactly. And then you're like, oh, okay, that's just kind of like a sales pitch. But then it's those small breakout sessions where someone did some miraculous work. They walked on marketing automation water or something. It's very true. Well, we were just at Mobile World Congress, which oh, cool. is the largest mobile gathering, the largest gathering of the entire mobile industry. So about 110,000 people all descend on Barcelona for a week. We did a session with one of our customers and it was a tremendous session because it was real about what is it that the operators, uh, the mobile operators, uh, what are the challenges they're facing and how do they choose a vendor a small vendor um, to work with, to achieve their goals, to innovate, and so on. And it was such a great um, session. Uh, someone in the audience asked a question, you know, of our, our big customer who participated in this with us. Why did you choose NetNumber? And uh, what was great is another customer stood up and said, let me tell you why we chose this company. Mm. They couldn't have paid for such a great endorsement about what we bring to the table as right. a small vendor and how we innovate and work with our customers. Wow. Like you, yeah. Like that is what everyone is going for or should be. I mean, yes. I mean, rather than you saying it, let someone else say it. Exactly. Exactly. And so I think small companies, you know, they have to try harder. And I think that's what we do. And that's why we should be uh, the ones invited to some of these marketing conferences to talk about how we're changing the world, um, you know, using fewer dollars, fewer resources, uh, fewer technology because we have fewer dollars. You know, and then the message to the bigger companies that are there is, look, if this small company can do it, with one yes. person, what else could you do? Exactly. With Fifteen marketers. Like, yes. how else could you blow this out of the water if one person can do all of this? <laughs> you know? It's easy to spend money to get the job done, uh, but it's when you got to be creative mm-hmm. and uh, you know you've got to pull in some resources and really partner with some other companies to say, hey, you know, here's our story. Yeah, that's why some of the smaller companies you know, uproot the big ones and totally you know, can like surprise them and take over and, you know, very true, disrupt. very true. Uh, and I, I've been really proud of how uh, net number has been very disruptive. Cool. You know, when I came on board five and a half years ago, we'd been in business for gosh, 13 years. Wow. But we were a small company 
doing something very important for the carriers, but very, very geeky. And that's where that translating geek speak comes into. Yes. And uh, I went to Gartner, my account manager, and I said, you know, I want us to be a Gartner cool vendor because we deserve it. We are totally changing uh, the operator market. And, and it was funny, the account manager said, uh, not going to happen. You know, most cool vendors have been in business one, two, maybe three years, maybe five years at the outset. You've been in this market too long. Sure enough, within a year, we were a Gartner cool vendor. Very proud of that. Oh, so this is, this is the, by the way, I love the word cool and <laughs> awesome and all these things. So. <laughs> What what does it what does that even mean? And I, I kind of get the gist of it that like okay, the young fresh companies can do it, but hey, you're old, you got 13 years, you're probably snooze fest. But is there yes. specific requirements? What makes a cool company for them? A cool vendor? So what they're looking at um, are companies that are disrupting the market somehow, wow. and that's exactly what we were doing. And what it took was packaging our story in such a way to say this is the impact that we're having, and then of course you know. Partner does its due diligence. It doesn't just take our word for right. the fact that we're cool, but they go out and talk to um, customers, partners, and then it's not just one analyst who says, yep, they get the cool stamp. They actually have a panel of analysts who approve it and say, wow. yes, I agree. This company is doing some interesting things. But what was funny is the same year that we were named a Gartner Cool Vendor, we were also named a hot startup by a, a telecom um, association. So that was wow. a pretty cool juxtaposition for us. That's cool. Maybe those other, that other group didn't even know you've been around for a while. Exactly. Well, wow. the fact that we were a startup, <laughs> we're yeah. kind of an old startup. Yeah. Well, you know, th that happens even for my companies. I think it's been around for like five years now, but I still like that startup feel. And I guess now that you've got the HR and the benefits and all the yes. all the, the secure trappings is nice and the 401k and everything, but you still want to be nimble and, and you don't want to fall into that trap of just status quo. And ugh. so it sounds like you were able to bust out of that with the story. And, and this was, and you, and you were just a, a solo marketer, right? When you first got there? Um, that's correct. So when I came on board, NetNumera had not had any marketing. You know, marketing was something that the sales guys did, that the founder did. Oh, really? Uh, but it took a new leader coming on board who mm -hmm. I had worked for previously to say, I think we've got a really cool story here. We just need to tell it differently. What we were doing is what so many tech companies do, where it's all about the three and four letter acronyms. Ugh. We do STPs and DRAs and uh. HSS and HLR, uh, but we were missing telling that bigger story of how we're really transforming the operator network by putting all of those applications, virtualizing them on a virtualized platform. That mm. makes it so much easier for a carrier, one, to save money, um, but two, to launch new services, which is exactly what operators need to do, deliver new services to their customers. God. By telling that story differently, uh, our presence in the market really took off. In fact, we were part of a, a program. One of our partners was running an innovation program. More than 100 companies submitted for that. We were down to um, the last six, and I had the oh, opportunity geez. 
to pitch our story uh, to the executives at this company. And it was funny because one of the executives turned to me and said, you guys are making signaling sexy. Oh, wow. I don't know that I would go. Did you run with that? That That would have been awesome. (laughs) But I thought, you know, what a great, uh, a great message to hear that our story, sexy, uh, is actually changing the way people are thinking about what can be a very mundane, technical um, part of the network. Right. And I think the mistake we make is thinking that uh, if you're in IT or if you're in something technical, then you just want to be bored all day long. It's like, exactly. <laughs> we all want to hear a story more than the, the acronym you mentioned, the you know, SDP and HLR and all these things. It's like, no, no, no. I heard saving money and I heard easy. Yes. Heard it was virtual. And I heard it's like, it's all there, you know, as in, and I could see why he, that, that exec would be like, this is, this is some good stuff, man. This is hot because it was, you were changing the game. Yeah, very true. And I think it, it's, it's storytelling, whether you're selling um, cereal, uh, social media, a TV set. At the end of the day, what is the benefit that you're bringing to that end mm. customer? And that's what we incorporated into our story and has really helped us take off. How do you stay authentic with that? How, how do you not go off the rails and you're making a story that your stuff can't really back up? Like, what, is there a line? Can you tell a story that's too good? And then, you know? So I think to be authentic, you've got to ground your story in reality. Mm-hmm. And so you can't go and tell everybody that your solution is the only, the best, um, you know, saves 100%, <laughs> whatever. You have to be grounded in reality. And so- right. We make sure that our story is um, is truthful, is honest, uh, and we're willing to back up what we say with customers and partners who can say, yes, I've used the net number of products, I've used their solutions, this is what I've seen. Right. You know, this September, we hosted our first uh, customer conference. Oh, it's, cool. Yes, it's something that our, our uh, sales team has been asking for since I came on board. Um, but I felt like last September was the right time. We had a really successful story to tell. We had customers who were actually clamoring to, um, to be on the agenda. We had so many customers who wanted the opportunity to participate and to share their story working with us, mm-hmm. which is a terrific place to be. You know, to have your customers, everybody raising their hand saying, well, I want to be on the agenda too. Right. Can't ask for better than that. Right. Wow. How, how, how'd that go? I mean, was it, have you done one of those before? And you know, what was it like to, to bring everyone together? Sounds like a great idea. Well, uh, so having worked at large companies, I've done, mm-hmm. I've done very similar events. But I've always had a staff. I've always had, uh, you know, a big amount of budget. So this is the first time I, I was able to accomplish something like this at NetNumber, where it was me working with, you know, our sales ops guys, um, a handful of people. Uh, we went to a foreign country that I'd never been to before. Where'd you go? We went to Budapest. Um, what? And, yeah, so we hosted in Budapest. Um, there's a difference in hosting an event in a you know U.S. city um, versus uh, kind of an Eastern European city, and uh, we had some work to do. At one point, we said, "You've got to bring in another AV crew. You're not going to be able to accomplish what it is that I want to do for um, for this event." But it was incredibly successful. At the end of the day, when customers and when your sales team is saying, 
this is like the best event that I've been to, or this is better wow. than what my company has put on. Wow. Um, you know, it's great. And our sales team have all come from, uh, from big named companies and for them to feel like this was, uh, a true representation of what we're capable of and better than what they had seen uh, in their previous companies. Uh, that says a lot to me. Yeah. You know, and sometimes to your point earlier with uh, the marketing in general, you know, okay, here's an event and you don't have the crazy budget. You have a budget, but yeah. you don't, it's not crazy and you don't have a massive team. You have a team. Did you have a team at this point for the, the event? No, unfortunately it was just me from a marketing oh my gosh. perspective. You had, a, you had a limited budget and just you, but you were able, you know, sometimes that, that makes it easier to be authentic because yes. you know, the big hall with the, that can get sales pitchy very quick. But that, very true. You know? Um, plus, you get focused on what's important. So I yeah. said, you know, the two requirements for doing this event, one, we had to have great content. Mm -hmm. uh, and secondly, we had to provide just a great experience where our customers felt welcomed. So that wasn't throwing a golfing event or a big uh, concert. It wasn't lots and lots of giveaways and, and everybody getting t-shirts, et cetera. But it was meaningful interactions, not only with the NetNumber leadership team, but with other customers. Right. And uh, leaving that event, we had customers who said, we want you to do this again because we were able to talk to our peers right. and that's what they found so beneficial. And we made sure that our content was not salesy. Mm -hmm. uh, it was much more informative and educational uh, because at the end of the day, if you're going to take a couple of days away from your office, you need to go to an event where you're actually learning something that you can take back to the office and implement. Right. The sales follow-up happens after the conference. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. Budapest. It, what was it like doing a conference there in a foreign uh, it country? Was, it was a little difficult. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, um, we showed up, I think I arrived on Saturday. So on Sunday, uh, my expectation was staff would be there. We'd be getting each of the rooms reviewed, set up. We'd have our, our signage. Uh, they don't necessarily work that way. Oh no! Was it kind of like that different time where it's like we'll get we'll get there eventually? Yes, very much so. Uh, you know, as we were going into our sessions, we're still printing out um, signs, and uh, and we had some folks who were getting a little crazy. It's like I don't feel like we're ready. How do we know that we're ready? And I said, at the right. end of the day, you know, our customers. They don't, they don't know what uh, every little detail was. That's true. To walk in, feel that we're confident, that we're calm, that we're ready to go. And so that's what we showed them. And then, yeah, maybe the signs went up a few minutes late, but that's okay. Nobody needed to worry about that. Totally. It's such an important tip, you know, and especially for, you know, people listening. You know, people do this all the time in presentations too. Like, oh, I'm sorry for something, or don't mind me. I'm shy, or yes. there's a there's a typo on this slide right here. Now everyone yes. sees it, but they exactly. may not have seen it. They didn't know. <laughs> That's so true. And yeah. um, in my career, I've uh, worked with a number of executives. I've been a communications manager for executives at a number of big companies, and I always try to remind them 
Don't call out things on your slides because no one sees it except you. And <laughs> no one needs to know that maybe there was supposed to be a slide inserted here or right. a different graphic or something else. Stay on your content, stay focused. Don't call out the mistakes because chances are nobody ever sees them. Yeah, they're on their phones anyways. They're just you exactly. Know, this happens. Like <laughs> you know, sometimes you you lost a card. No one's paying attention, and not not if I'm on the stage, of course. But uh, someone else, and I've seen this where so the person goes, "Oops, uh, ooh, this." Everyone looks up. Now they have your attention. Yes. They know what's going on? What's different? What's so? Uh, yeah. And they want to take a picture of the slide and then post it to social media. Look right. at that. Mistake. Look at that mistake. <laughs> Otherwise, no one would be the wiser. For exactly. Sure. Oh, that is so great. So that's hungry, right? Yes. Uh, culturally, so the, the times were different, but different money, different, I mean, any, you know, any highlights from the, like any takeaways, some so, crazy dinner you had one night or? You know, uh, gorgeous city. We actually did have a crazy, uh, a crazy dinner. Uh, so at the end of the conference, I went out to dinner with our CEO, um, our chief revenue officer, and our chief operating officer, and uh, the head of services. Wow. And we went to a little local restaurant. You know, we'd had such a busy week. We just needed a little downtime before we headed off. So we go to this restaurant that has very authentic food. On the menu is... Um, chicken balls and chicken combs you know from the what uh, actually the rooster rooster combs Roost, like the actual floppy thing that's yes what is that skin i have no idea but it looked <laughs> horrible so of course so, you guys <laughs> have to order that and yes. they have to taste it and i'm the one saying no absolutely not i'm not putting that in my mouth um so we took lots of pictures of the guys tasting very bizarre food oh my god <laughs> That is so crazy. It, it, what a cool experience that to be able to, you know, bounce out, get something real. Maybe it's a little yes. quieter. You're not around customers anymore. You can kind of like just breathe a sigh of relief. You you did the mission. You know, the yes. event was successful. Just relax. And then, of course, after every event, I have to do a post-mortem. So we may get five minutes of relaxation, but then we dive back in and say, okay, what yeah. worked really well? What did we learn from this? What would we change going forward? Because that's how we make sure that the next conference is even better. Yeah, so important. I think sometimes politics and a lack of self-confidence can get in the way. But to be able to just look back honestly and say, well, what could we do better? Not feel the ownership of, oh, I, if anything went wrong, I failed. It's like, no, this is, you pull off a miracle here. You know, what could we improve on for next time? It takes a confident person to then you know, look back and then say, hey, what, what could we do? Absolutely. Well, as I said, we just finished up um, Mobile World Congress uh, right. a week ago now. And this morning I held a postmortem. So got all the sales guys, the uh, business development folks, anyone who attended and said, let's go through the conference. And even though everyone wow. raved about our presence, we had um, you know a tremendous number of leads. We closed mm -hmm. some business deals. There's still things that that we can improve. And that's what I'm looking for. Uh, what I reminded them is every time we have this postmortem, some of that feedback goes into the next year and improves the experience once again. 
Totally. That's cool. Especially across boundaries and across department lines, just saying, let's all sit together and yes. see how it went. How, how did it go? Was yeah. it productive? It wasn't like, it sounds like you have a good environment where people aren't like name calling and all this. It was like, Hey, great event. Here's a positive. Here's something we could improve. Um, yes. So great event. I mean, first of all, uh, this year's event was just another step up for us. And what I like to say is that net number punches above our weight. Yeah. You, if you went to our stand, you would think that we were much larger um, than we are. And we incorporate video. We've got built-in conference rooms. But everything is done on a budget and within um, budget. How do you do that? To sort of jump in and interrupt you. How, how, do, how have you made yourself you know, look that next level and punch above the weight class on that limited budget. So what I did last year, at the end of the show, um, I always go out and look at all of the other stands and I take lots of pictures and I look at, you know, what catches my eye. What I noticed last year was all the big stands had video incorporated into their stand. I've got a great relationship with our stand builder. I think it's important, particularly as a small company, you've got to choose vendors who uh, you can work well with mm -hmm. and really view as a partner. And so this vendor, uh, I went to them and said, you know what, I want to incorporate video. How do we do that? And they went off and they came back and said, this is what it would look like. This is what the cost would be. And I said, terrific. Let's do that. And then where do we need to consider maybe saving costs in other areas? Uh, so we incorporated video this year. It was so awesome. People would walk up to our stand and take pictures of the video. Really? And we had folks saying, oh my gosh, I want this in my stand next year. We were the model for other people's stands. Uh, I also saw last year one of these teeny tiny stands had a beer pole. <laughs> and I thought, oh my gosh, that's what I want. Every Mobile World Congress in the afternoon, we do a reception where we bring out some wine and some beer and, um, and some food. And it just provides a, a nice casual atmosphere, but also encourages our customers and prospects to spend more time with us in the stand having yes. discussions. So beer pull it was, and we got that installed. Um, it looked awesome. And then our uh, chief revenue officer said, oh my gosh, it would be so cool if that had a net number logo on it. And I turned to the stand builder and I said, okay, let's do yes. a logo on the beer pole, which we did. It was totally awesome. But when I look at comparing the cost to have the beer pole um, installed, uh, to be able to serve that, that beer, yeah. um, it was actually less expensive than previous years where we've gone to the grocery store every day because we've run out of beer, had to buy lots and lots of beer, cart it into the stand, put it in the refrigerator. It ended up being a really cost-effective way to do this. Right. Huh. Huh. Now, I'm fascinated. I was actually, I started looking at pictures of your booth and, uh, and I think I can catch glimpses of the beer pole. The, I'll have to send yeah. you a picture. It was, oh, definitely. Yeah, it, it's, it was a great addition um, to the stand. But what we saw this year, so again, 110,000 people all yeah. descending on Mobile World Congress, something like 2,500 vendors um, and exhibitors. Mm -hmm. So if you think about, we are competing with 2,500 other stands. Yes. 
Um, we actually had by midday Tuesday, we had a record number of badge scans. Hmm. Um, we had more badge scans by Tuesday, so second day into the conference, than we had the entire week last Mobile World Congress, so wow. four days. And what we did differently this year is we only scanned badges that uh, were associated to meaningful conversations. So if someone came into the stand and grabbed a net number pen or um, grabbed a chocolate um, or wanted to sell me a stand for next year, we didn't scan their badges. Wow. If it ended up being a meaningful conversation with a sales rep, a business development rep, if you watched our demo, et cetera. So tremendous um, difference in the quality of the leads that sure. we were scanning. Um, and we closed business um, during the conference, which was great. We had a customer come up and said, I want to sign a PO and I want to do a press release on site. Jeez. Which is great. So sat down with the customer in a conference room. Our sales executive signed the PO. I worked with them on the press release. The next morning we had it out over the wire service. Uh, what I loved is then one of our competitors came the next morning after the press release came out, wanted to talk to me and wanted to understand how in the world we got that done right. with the press release because they'd been pursuing it for, um, for several months. Oh, geez. <laughs> so I'm, I'm full of all, all these how questions. Um, how did you get more scans, record scans, by scanning less? Well, for us, uh, we always go into Mobile World Congress thinking about it months ahead and thinking about what can we do to drive attention. Again, we're a small company. We're competing against 2,500 stands. Right. So we tee up um, news as we go into the conference. Um, we know that the Sunday before Mobile World Congress starts, all the big brands have news conferences. So it's very hard to compete on a Sunday or Monday, the first day of the show with news. Um, so we tee up news in advance and we issue press releases that are actually meaningful. So we introduced a concept um, called All G. Everyone in the industry is now talking about 5G. Our platform allows operators to transition easily from 2G to 3G to 4G wow. to 5G and to all G, which is what's going to come after uh, 5G. Where the uh, it ended up being really interesting um, positioning. We issued press releases on new solutions that we were demonstrating in the stand. And that drove people to come to our stand to check out uh, the demos. And then, of course, our demos are really powerful. What we showed was a private LTE network in a rolling backpack. How cool is that? Really? That's a network that you can carry with you on an airplane. So carry it into um, a disaster scenario, for example. Sure. Or use it on the uh, manufacturing floor in an IoT um, environment. Um, so we've got demos that are meaningful, uh, but our sales team is also incredibly awesome. They know that we've got to go into Mobile World Congress with meetings preset. Right. Trying to set meetings up at the show is difficult because 
again, you've got all of these people competing for meeting time. Right. We've got three conference rooms built into our stand that we've got to fill. And so the sales team, you know, we provide them um, invites. We provide them the press releases. We provide material and they go out to their customers and prospects and say, we're going to be on site. We'd love to meet with you. So our meeting rooms end up being filled uh, pretty much 100%. Uh, we actually went into Mobile World Congress this year with more meetings than we have in previous years. That means people want to come and meet with us. Yes. Um, they want to meet with our sales team. And then we also attract people into our stand because of the demonstrations. I think the beer helps as well, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> Yeah, we know the look they 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 give too. It's they're walking by like I don't want someone to talk to me, but then they out of the corner they're like, "Is that a beard you're pulling right there?" Uh, yeah. They kind of stop and they kind of back up a little bit and they kind of looking around like, "Do I have to talk?" You're like, "Hey, come on over. Let me get you a, a cup over here." You know? Exactly. And our <laughs> sales team. Prior to going to the show, um, I do a session where we go through, you know, how do you attract people into the stand? What are some questions that you can ask them um, to get them engaged with you? And nine times out of 10, I think people do get engaged. They want to talk to the sales team and understand, you know, what does this company net number do? Uh, But if you don't and you really just want a beer and a pen, that's okay too. We're we're not going to hound you. Now, are you going to scan them if they get a beer? Or it's not a meaningful conversation? No, it's got to be a meaningful conversation. Wow. See, yes. that's, that's interesting. So because of that prep work, I'm sure that and all the press releases and all these things and the sales training, because of all that, you had more people coming. Yes. And you, you scanned less of the ones that – you didn't scan the ones that don't matter. And how many exactly. times have I been in a trade show where – you know, sometimes the last day, certain conferences, they let in locals. Yes. And they just want the swag. And then exactly. they, they're going to unsubscribe, spam. So what a cool discipline to not scan those people and, yes. to, and to not feel like I need to have that extra 400 riffraff in there. Right. Well, wow. and as we put together our summary that goes to our CEO and goes to the board, you know, we emphasize the point that these were scans based on meaningful conversations, right. not just everybody. We don't want to pad the numbers uh, because at the end of the day, it, um, it, it isn't a true look at the results of the show. Right. I, I love that. You don't have to be weird about the giveaway. But you yes. also don't need to be weird about the scan. You know, it's like, exactly. you want the beer? Great. Like, I, don't worry, I'm not going to scan you for just asking for the, I mean, sometimes I go after the stuffed animals, right? You get the two young kids at home. You're like, yes. you know, and the stuffed animals are just too good. So you're like, oh, you know, ba- you know, baby unicorns got to get these. So I'm like, hey, can you, sc- you know, here, scan me. I'm going to unsubscribe anyways. And, and yes. you know, and I don't even know what they, you know, not a meaningful conversation. And so exactly. here, have a unicorn or whatever, but you know, in a beer, <laughs> we're not going to scan you. We're not going to bother you. That kind of thing. That's great. It's, it feels like a masterclass in how to execute these events. So I have some questions too, because as you, as you went, I felt like, like, I don't know, Ace Ventura or the mask where my, my mouth was all the way down to the table. <laughs> My tongue rolled out in the bottom. I was like, oh my gosh. So the all G versus 5G, that that to me sounds like a Gartner cool vendor. 
Like people are like, I've got four, I've got five. And you're like, Psh, I've got all. I've got all, gee, exactly. <laughs> I can't believe you did that. That's awesome. Yes. Uh, you know, it was, I think, a really good brainstorming effort uh, with the marketing team, with the BD team, um, getting sales to look at that and say, yeah, this is a, a positioning that we can really run with. Um, and And I think marketing's role is to bring that creativity forward. I often talk right. about marketing being a mix between an art and a science. And so we've got to be creative. We've got to think about how do we tell our story in such a way that it's compelling, that uh, people become interested, they want to learn more. But then you've got the science piece where you test out your messaging to make sure that, yeah, it's actually going to run it, resonate. Um, two, with regards to the badge scanning, you're looking at what are the leads that we are developing um, are we nurturing them correctly? You know, right. are we trying new things that work great? Are we trying things that maybe um, the results aren't what we expect and don't work? And so how do we reevaluate, try again, go back to that drawing board uh, and, and so on? Right. And I, I could see that playing out. Did, did that strategy, the art and the science, did that play out with that video? I, I was wondering, you mentioned, look, we have this video, people are stopping and they're staring and taking pictures of it. That's just as attractive as the beer pole was happening. What was on this video that made people just, it was like a magnet? So first of all, it was a great looking video and it was in brand. Um, okay. So the, the look of the video um, was compelling. It, as I said, it was in brand. It matched our stand. But then we had some, uh, some language and some questions around topics that are concerning to operators. Security, for example, thinking about 5G. You know, we raised some questions that if you're an operator, you're going to look at and say, oh, yeah, I am thinking about that. In Security text? Because there's no important. audio, right? There's just. Uh, yes. Yeah, so is in text. Uh, you know, you don't want to be that stand that has a really annoying video with <laughs> music and a voiceover. Yeah, plays uh, that over causes. and over. And exactly. <laughs> we were next to a stand that did that. They had um, a, a, a clip of a famous song. It was obvious they didn't pay for the whole song. They didn't pay the royalties. But they played this clip over. It was like 15 seconds over and over and over again. And then they had a demo with a hammer hitting uh, the screen of a phone. And what they were selling was a protective screen. But I'll tell you, between that music and that pounding every second, it was Ugh. so annoying. Sounds like a party foul. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, so we don't want to be that annoying sta stand. We want to have you know, good visual content that's going to pull you in. Yeah. Another cool thing about our video wall was you could actually see it from the upper deck at Mobile World Congress. So really? as you're walking along the upper deck um, and you look down into the hall, there are eight halls at Mobile World Congress. Wow. And you walk along the top. As you look down, you could see the video, you could see the language, you could see our logo. Wow. It drew people to come down and take a look. What How else big was it? Um, so our stand, well, our video wall spanned uh, – the height of our stand. So we do a double decker stand. Oh, excellent. We cram a lot into what's a small space. And right. that's part of, you know, the ability to save some money um, mm. and make sure that because we've got built in 
um, meeting rooms. We don't have to go pay for meeting rooms elsewhere on the show floor. We really make effective use of the amount of space that we have on the show floor. That makes so much sense because then you can own that room. I mean, trying to get yes. it from the, you know, the, the place that owns it, that's, that's really challenging. Oh, I see a picture over so. here. Little, oh, double, double decker. Isn't like, that uh, cool? How cool is that? Meeting rooms upstairs? We have two yeah. meeting rooms upstairs and we have a meeting room downstairs. And last year, what we noticed was a number of our customers were coming, not one or two people, but 10, 12, 14 people. And our meeting rooms couldn't accommodate that. So the uh, feedback from the sales team in last year's postmortem was, we need a bigger conference room. So this year we actually built a, a large conference room that could seat up to 14 very comfortably. It felt like going into a boardroom. It was just wow. gorgeous. Yeah, I see it almost like blue windows or whatnot and yes. lights. Yes. And so pe people downstairs could see the silhouettes of bodies it, having meetings upstairs. Exactly. That social effect of, hey, this is a – Absolutely punches above weight. I don't know what weight class to put you in at that. Looking at <laughs> that kind of a booth, that's really cool. Thank you. And you were able to work with a vendor to customize and make this look good, but also not just blow your budget away. Sounds exactly. Cool. And, yeah. you know, I'm a big believer in doing uh, some of that pre work. You can't go to a vendor and say, oh, create me a stand. Uh, you know, you've got to do that pre-work and explain, this is the vision that I have. These are stands that I've mm -hmm. seen that I really like the look of. You know, here is my, uh, my branding. Here's the image I'm trying to convey. And so I do all that work ahead of time and then sit down with the vendor and say, you know, this is what I'm looking for. Right. Um, and we, we've been fortunate. We found a vendor uh, who works really well with us. They listen to our feedback and they'll, they'll come back and say, you know, great idea, but our recommendation is we do this. Uh, it, it's funny, just so um, I left on the Friday for the show. Thursday mm -hmm. afternoon, I get an email. Could we build in another demo spot? And my booth vendor is in Italy. So my Thursday afternoon is there early uh, Friday. And I sent an email and I said, okay, last minute request, could you build in a second demo spot? This is what I'm envisioning. And the uh, answer back was, of course, don't worry. We'll have it ready to go when you arrive. That is a wow. true partnership. Do you want to share what company that is or do you want to keep it to yourself? <laughs> <laughs> So I know that they love working with us and uh, they wouldn't trade us in for a, a, another client. Um, so it's 3A Design and they are located in Rome. Wow. 3A Design. Stuff over the weekend for that, that show coming up and you got to get it done. And... Absolutely. Wow. Good for them. Shout out to those guys, especially when you have an international event. Um, yes. And they got it from Italy all the way to... All the way to Barcelona. Barcelona, yes. that's right. Yes. Wow. Wow. That is amazing. So the question I have, this is a serious, I don't think, any questions I see? Did I, did I ask everything? Um, I think so. Matt, definitely a masterclass in events. Uh, this is amazing. I, my question to you is like, who are you? <laughs> like, where did you come from? <laughs> How did you, uh, you know, acquire all this knowledge and you know, take us back to like little Kim? All right. So little Kim, um, born and bred on Andrews Air Force Base. So I am an Air Force brat. Yeah, me too. 
Yes. So uh, shout out to, uh, to all the Air Force brats around the world. Um, so I grew up um, on the East Coast largely, uh, did spend some time in other parts of the world, but grew up on the East Coast. And uh, when I went to college, um, so I was that kid who always loved to perform. And mm. I would work with my friends and write scripts and we would put on shows uh, I love to tell stories. As a child growing up, uh, I would tell my sisters and my parents that I was actually a Martian who had been dropped off uh, by a spaceship so that I could learn more about Earthlings. Uh, wow. I just, I loved to tell just fun, interesting um, stories. Um, when I went to college, uh, I, I went to George Mason University and I wanted to major in theater. I wanted to major in art history. Um, I majored in sociology. Um, just about anything that had to do with telling a story yes. uh, was exciting to me. But my family was really concerned that there was not good job opportunities related to those uh, kinds of fields of study. Air Force will, will tell you that. That's um, what I got too, yeah. Yes. Um, but I decided I wanted to be an art major. And I envisioned that I would live in Paris and I would <laughs> paint, etc. Well, one day uh, my art professor sat me down and said, Kim, you really aren't good. Uh, <laughs> and you need to consider uh, a different major. Wow. And I'll tell you, at first, it was a blow to the ego. Yeah. Um, but I knew that he was right because I couldn't translate all the great art that I saw in my head actually down to paper. So right. he, he actually did me a service. Uh, I went and met with my counselor and I said, okay, can't be an art major, no theater, no art history. What should I do? And when we looked at the classes I'd taken, what stood out, what I was really good at, uh, were the communications and marketing classes. Yeah. And, and it's funny because I thought, yes, I'm good at that, but you know, is there a job? <laughs> right. Uh, so I decided to get a degree in communications because it brought together the public relations piece, uh, the speech writing piece, et cetera. But I married that with a degree in organizational psychology because I was also interested in understanding what makes people um, make the decisions they do in business. How yes. do you best organize a team um, and so on? Wow. I had envisioned I was going to be the next Oprah Winfrey. Nice. Um, I, I graduated. I had an opportunity to do an internship at uh, a TV station in Washington, D.C. Sat down with my mentor and he said, you know, this is great, but you're not going to make any money for a really long time. And while you may have an internship here in D.C., you're going to end up having to work in teeny tiny towns across the U.S. Yeah. And I thought, okay, that's probably not uh, what I want to do. And it turns out my uh, sister had heard about a job at a systems integrator. Um, systems integrators do large projects for government. Okay. And they were looking for someone to come in and actually work in their technology division and write content, be a marketing person. Oh, cool. 
And I thought, this is ideal. I, you know, I understood government because of uh, being an Air Force brat. Um, I got the opportunity to write and um, to look at really cool technology. And so my career took off from that. I spent some time at the systems integrator. And uh, one of the projects I was working on uh, were proposals um, for, for government projects. And I kept seeing this word Intel pop up. I kept thinking, what, what in the world does Intel do? Because they're all over these RFPs. Right. And um, I met somebody who introduced me to somebody else who worked at Intel. And I sent my resume. I was living in Virginia. I sent my resume to California. And I said, I want to come and interview at Intel. And at first I was told, no, no, no. You know, we, we wouldn't hire anyone outside of California. We wouldn't move you here. And I said, you know what? I'm buying a ticket. I'm going to come to California. If I could get five minutes with you just to learn more about Intel, you know, could I do that? And she said, yes. And I came in and I met uh, with a woman who was leading up a new group um, at Intel that was actually providing communications to to the executive team. So the CEO at the time was Andy Grove. Um, Before I left, Intel, uh, before I, I left California, uh, I actually had a job offer. And two weeks later, I moved out to work at Intel. I was the first communications manager hired. And I got really? to work. Yeah, I got to work with Andy. Um, I worked with Gordon Moore. I held the napkin in my hand that Gordon drew Moore's Law on. No I, way. Yes. I worked with Dennis Carter, who uh, created the Intel Inside campaign. It was such a tremendous learning environment. And what I learned was you've got to work hard. Um, But I also had an opportunity uh, at at one point during my tenure, I I was going to go get my MBA. And the manager said, you know, we have an opportunity to send someone to Germany um, to work on this big show called CBIT that's coming up. CBIT was the largest trade show at the time in Hanover, Germany kind of like Mobile World Congress, but even right. larger. Really? And she said, you know, we want to send you there for several months. You would live and work in Munich. You could go to the Munich office and you would organize our presence at the show. Wow. Yeah. But my, my first reaction was, well, no, I'm about to start my MBA. Oh, right. Um, you know, I was on this path and she said, Kim, put your MBA aside. You can go back to that um, next year. This is going to be such a great learning experience for you. And she was right. And what I took away from that is whenever an opportunity comes to you, even if you think maybe it's not the right time or maybe I don't have all the skills, raise your hand and say yes, because you will learn so much about yourself. You'll learn so much that you'll take into um, the next stage of your career. Oh, I love that. Uh you know, it, you let that MBA that it'll still be here when you get back. Exactly. But to go to Germany and how how'd your German get? Did you get pretty good or? Oh rusty? no, not really. And it's hard. You know, it's a hard oh one. My gosh, I I'd been out of the country before uh, on vacations with my family, but I'd never been out of the country by myself, and I didn't speak any German. Wow. And I was given a piece of paper with an address and told, when I get to the airport, give this to a taxi driver and they'll get you where you need to go. Oh. 
and I remember by the time I made it to um, my furnished apartment, I was in a building with other expats and I sat down and I just, I cried. And I thought, <laughs> oh my gosh, what am I doing here? I don't know anybody. I'm going to be here for months. I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. Uh, and then of course I started thinking, oh my gosh, this taxi driver spoke no English. He could have taken me off into the countryside. He could have murdered me. No sure. one would know. Um, but I took a leap of faith. And yeah. the next day, uh, someone in the building who also worked at Intel um, connected with me and said, I'm going to help you get, um, get on the train. We'll get to the office. We'll get you introduced. And it was an amazing experience. Wow. You know, it just, you know, we learn usually French and Spanish in school. And so German is just this otherworldly thing. And it is. like I did Spanish and I can kind of piece together French and Italian. You're like, Oh yeah. The numbers are basically the same and yes. you can read the words and the signs, but man, German or some of these other languages, it can be hard. And not all these countries, it's probably when you, especially when you're doing that back in the nineties, you know, had people that, spoke languages some do but germany was one of the ones i still remember i was there probably late 2000s and they it wasn't very you know very fluent in, in english it was mostly german where some countries are like oh yeah like thailand oh yeah english thai no problem germany <laughs> you definitely had to navigate and you did that as like a young professional. That's really cool. Yes, very much so. And I had a great experience at Intel. Loved uh, my time working there. And then I went and worked at Apple, um, which was just a crazy, crazy yeah. experience. Okay, so you were there. Was, was there a Steve Jobs in the picture? Was he booted out at that point or was he back in? So Jobs was out at the point, uh, but he was coming back. So we really? had a different CEO. And unfortunately, uh, this was a CEO who was not very well liked. And okay. I remember, uh, so I was uh, running a public relations for Apple Americas, which was the sales organization. Wow. And we were hosting an event for our CEO in our office. And, and the office was largely uh, sales representatives. Okay. Um, this is the first time I'd been in an environment where sales was actually booing the CEO. And was unfortunately, like a presentation and they were booing him? Or? He was doing a presentation. Um, <laughs> and they're booing? Oh my gosh. You know, it was the wrong message. He came in and he talked about, oh, I've just flown in on my private jet. Oh, um, you know, and painting this picture about how great his life was, where the sales reps were concerned that Apple was going out of business. We were fielding calls from the press. Um, from mom and pop shops, uh, from big stores that were saying, we've heard that Apple's gone out of business. Apple's closed oh, its geez. doors. And of course, that wasn't true. Right. And then we were hearing rumors that Jobs was coming back. And Ooh. sure enough, that's exactly what was happening. Um, but at the time, I decided to, um, to leave Apple I'd been there for a short period of time. Right. Um, did you ever see him? Like I did. Uh, yeah. I did. Yeah. Happened to be in a meeting. Um, and it was a very... Napkins that have like a design of the iPhone on it or anything? <laughs> no. <laughs> and it was a very difficult uh, meeting. Sure. Um, I would imagine. But going back to your question around authenticity. Yeah. 
you know, at the time, I truly didn't believe that Apple was was going to survive. Sure. And how can you tell that story and try to convince the sales organization, the media, um, if you don't believe it? And I felt like I couldn't be authentic. Um, so I looked at my career and I said, you know, I've worked at some uh, big brands, but the piece that I'm missing is being on the agency side. Right. Uh, and I'd managed agencies before, but it's very different being on the inside of an agency. And so I went and did um, stints at a large global agency and also at a small agency. I learned a tremendous amount. That's really tough, um, tough work. Um, proud of the work that I did, you know, built um, a nice portfolio of clients. Um, but then Cisco started calling. And I knew I wanted to go back into the corporate world. And uh, I decided to go work at Cisco. I spent 14 years at Cisco, loved being there, had a variety of uh, roles um, in PR, in marketing, um, in analyst relations, uh, communications, internal communications. Yeah, Just that's a, a long time. Yeah, great experience. But Cisco at the time, it felt like, Every job, every division was a new company for me. Oh, yeah. And so I learned a lot. I, um, I contributed. And one of the executives that I worked for retired from Cisco, um, had been on the board of NetMember. They asked him to become the CEO. And he called and said, you know, Kim, I want you to come over and be the chief marketing officer. Wow. And at first I said, no, I really liked the role that I had at Cisco. I had a great team. I had a team of 21. We <laughs> Talk about the, the teams, right? You had, you had the real team there. Yeah, you know, it was a great team. We were doing um, tremendous work for the chief development officer. Um, but my husband said to me, you know, Kim, your path, you wanted to be a chief marketing officer. Yeah. This is your role. This is your opportunity. And the thing is, you know, you loved working with this executive. You trust him. You should go do this. Uh, and I had said to the executive, when I told him I wasn't interested, I said, you know, but I will find you someone. And he said, no, you're the person that we need. We need someone who understands technology, who can tell a story who can create a story for us. Right. And so a few weeks later, later I quit uh, my job at Cisco and came over to NetNumber and it's been an amazing five years, five and a half years. Wow. Time flies. And, yes, and it, it sounds does. like you're super glad you did. You took yes. Sleep. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, it's been one of those things where I uh, can come in and use the skills that I have, um, but also develop new skills. Uh, I think as a marketing professional, I view myself as a, uh, a T marketer. Uh, I think to, to get ahead, you have to be a T marketer. And what that means is, you know, you've got some really in-depth knowledge uh, around a couple of areas. So kind of that bottom of the T okay. and then the top of the T is you know you know some other areas maybe not as in depth but you've got a broad um, a broad view and I think that's what it takes to be a CMO. So when I think about uh, where I've got skills that are in depth, it's in the public relations piece, the analyst yes. relations piece, you know, the messaging, the storytelling, um, events management. Yes. And and I've had an opportunity to work and learn more about things like social media and SEO and and so on. Um, wow. And then as I've built my team, I've looked for 
uh, marketing professionals who uh, actually bring some of that depth of experience that I don't have. So uh, they're able to uh, actually, I think, create a stronger team because we're not a cookie cutter of Kim, but we actually bring in right. new, fresh skills that, that maybe I don't know as well. Wow. What do you look for? You know, you know, experienced CMO, marketing leader. What are some of the things you're looking for? So uh, first of all, it's uh, the experience. So have you been a marketing professional? Um, do you understand how to do marketing uh, for a technology company? Uh, and I've seen, as I was hiring, some great resumes of folks who are in other industries but the technology industry, particularly what we do, is pretty complex. Indeed. And I don't have the, the time, unfortunately, to have someone spend a year trying to get up to speed. So I need people who understand the telecom market. And I hired two great folks who came out of telecom. And so they really understand the challenges our customers are facing. Mm -hmm. They understand other solutions in the market. And they know how to position us correctly. So I'm looking for that understanding of, um, of the marketplace, mm -hmm. uh, that experience in marketing. And again, I'm looking for people who maybe bring different skills than I do. Someone I hired um, has been a, a digital marketer. And so he's the guy who created all the videos for, uh, for Mobile World Congress. And he's wow. got you know, that great um, skill set. Um, the other person that I, I brought on board has a different skill set, has really been kind of in some product marketing roles, knows how to uh, help get a product produced. You know, when you're a marketing professional at a small company, you're kind of the jack of all trades um, at times. Um, and then they bring some, some things that are very familiar to me in terms of being able to talk to the press and the analyst community, uh, managing events and things like that. So I'm looking for, again, that industry knowledge, that marketing experience. Um, but I'm also looking for folks who are hungry to learn. Uh, yeah. The industry is continuing to change. Marketing is changing. New technologies are always coming out. Um, the industry itself is changing. And so we've got to be hungry to continue to learn. And as a CMO, um, I'm still learning uh, I just finished a class on SEO that I took online. I've taken another class on really understanding Google Analytics and mm -hmm. um, advertising platforms. Um, today, we're not doing online advertising, but it gives me some things to think about as I consider, should we be investing dollars there? And if we do, what do I need to know? What do I need to look for? Right. Do you recommend the classes you took or what, what sources do you usually learn from? Um, so, uh, I took a number of online courses from, I think it was called stack skills or something like that. Uh, but they've got a variety of marketing types of courses given by professionals. Um, I think the Google analytics class was led by an agency and their kind of number one job is to help mm -hmm. people with digital advertising. Uh, and what's great about it being an online class is I can take it um, I can do a couple hours, then I can do my work, and then I can come back to it as I need to. Right. Um, take lots and lots of notes, furiously taking notes, so that I can look back and say, oh, yeah, maybe 
maybe I should think about some digital advertising. And here are the three key things to remember about that. You know, it's it's so true. The, you know, and I think it's a good a view into, you know, for everyone else out there listening, is that no matter what level you're at, you know, to to have that beginner mindset, or at least to be trying to learn. And sometimes you can get too much knowledge, and you think, "Oh, I know everything," but you—that's you, yes. a trap, you know. And so you really need to yes. just stay hungry to what could I learn from this situation? You know, that kind of thing. Exactly. And even though I consider myself kind of an expert in, um, I in do. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I still go back and I read um, articles about events management because sometimes there are things that um, maybe you didn't learn in the early days or weren't applicable to the early days. So they're not part of your planning process. But I like to go back and say, okay, yeah, I am doing these things, or maybe I should consider adding this to my portfolio of skills. Right. Yeah, know. no, absolutely. Always adding ammo or new yes. tools and new approaches for sure. Um, yes. Question I'm dying to ask you, you know, if you could advise uh, younger Kim, um, thinking like career advice, if you could tell yourself some advice of, you know, you know, from what you've learned and what you've gone through, uh, what would you tell yourself in that younger you just starting out your career? So great question because my son is actually in college and he is thinking about a career in marketing. So um, this is kind of advice that I'm giving him as well. What would you tell your son or what? Yeah. Um, So the first thing and something that I mentioned earlier is about raising your hand Mm. and not being afraid to say yes. Uh, So what I have found throughout my career is uh, by raising your hand and being willing to take on projects, one, you get to show off what you can do, sometimes to someone who may not be your manager today, but maybe your manager down the road. Um, Secondly, you get to develop new skills. Uh, One of the projects that I worked on at Intel, if anyone remembers, we had this floating point divide issue. flaw in an Intel chip. And I raised my hand and I said, you know, I want to be part of the PR team working on that because that gave me an opportunity to learn about crisis communication, which then I took into my Apple days, which I took into my Cisco days. And now if somebody asked me, do you know how to do crisis communications? Absolutely. Wow. Um, but it was because I raised my hand and said, hey, I want to try that. Um, so I think it's important to say yes, and it's important to raise your hand, even if you feel like I don't have all the skills or I don't have all the knowledge. Um, secondly, it's important to always keep learning. And, you know, you're never going to know everything, um, but you have to take it upon yourself to, to think about your career where you want to go, and what you need to learn to get there. Uh, As I said, I'd never worked on the agency side. Uh, I think today if I hired an agency, I would manage that agency so much better Mm -hmm. than I did when I had agencies working for me at Intel and Apple and Cisco. Um, So important to always keep learning and to keep that um, that mindset. The third point, something that's near and dear to my heart, I believe in the golden rule. Mm. Um, I believe you treat people the way that you want to be treated. And so in a big company, you know, you're going to have layers and layers of management. Um, You may have to go through an administrative assistant before you can get time with that executive. 
you know, you better believe that by treating everyone with respect that you meet, that's going to come back to you. Uh, and you're going to get the access that you want. Uh, you're going to have folks who are willing to help you in your career um, and, and so on. And then lastly, I think it's really important um, that you pay it forward. And you may not know a lot today, but if somebody comes to you and asks for your help, even though if it doesn't feel like it's your job, roll up your sleeves and help. Right. You never know when you may need that person um, to help you. Um, in a couple of weeks, uh, I get the opportunity to be on a panel uh, around women in telecom. Mm. And uh, it's a panel that really interests me because it's about how can, first of all, women help each other in advancing their careers, but yeah. also how can men help women in advancing their careers. Right. I think it's a great way to, um, to share kind of what I've learned, but to reinforce even to myself that helping others advance their careers is really important. I got my first step because my sister opened the door for me and I want to do that um, as I go forward as well. That is amazing. And, and I, I can see that, you know, hearing your story, that golden rule and the paying it forward. I, I've heard that throughout, you know, you had such good advice from the teacher who told you it's not this direction, it's that yes. direction to, the MBA will be here when you get back to yes. go for it. Take a leap for that company. You've had people that um, have cared about you and advised you correctly. You know, why is very true. Yeah. And, and I feel really blessed in my career. I've had amazing opportunities. I've been to rocket launches at Cape Canaveral. Mm -hmm. I've been invited. Now in we're talking. <laughs> the embassy, the Norwegian embassy in Washington, DC. You know, I've had the opportunity to work with just some amazing, um, people, wow. but I always look back and say, you know, it's because someone helped me, and now my opportunity is to help other people as well. Absolutely, that, amazing advice. You know, last question I have: it. You mentioned the performing thing. I can, I can relate on that. Do you, do you find a way? How, how do you, uh, you know, practice your craft? Do you do any plays or any performance? Maybe <laughs> podcast in your future. Uh, maybe podcast in my future. You know, I, I don't do uh, a lot of performing, um, but there are some, some ways that I de-stress. So, uh, yes. you know, a chief marketing officer role is, um, it's a lot of work. It's complex. Um, there's days when I'm in meetings back to back. Um, so it's important to have an outlet and yes. I love, you know, I go to the gym, try to make sure that I, I have time um, for myself. Um, I also love to watch crime dramas. Uh, sure. And I'm a big fan of the crime dramas on Netflix from other countries. So uh -huh. it's not the U.S. ones, but I love, I just finished a series that was based in Australia. I'm watching a series that's actually based in Finland of all places. Are they in English? Um, they're not in English. They're in Finnish. Um, of course, I don't speak Spanish. Uh, any finish at all, but you turn on uh, that translation and you know you can read the captions. But what I love about these crime drama stories is, you know, first of all, you get to see the settings. Um, oh yeah. You know, watching the story unfold and the way that different countries tell their crime stories, what kinds of crimes. Um, happen, you know, is the, um, what's the balance between the male characters and the female characters? What do people wear? What kinds of jobs do they have? And you know, I think it tells you a lot about um, the culture of the countries. 
Um, so for me, that's a big way to, um, to de-stress. Um, and then my friends call me the cruise director. Um, I have a great, uh, group of friends. We've actually been friends since our, our sons who are now all in college. We're in kindergarten. Wow. And so I've taken Yeah, That's amazing. Yes. So I organize our get togethers. We've got a book club. Um, we get together for brunch regularly. You know, we go out to lunch, we support uh, one another. And that's a great way to, um, to de-stress. Yes. Um, on my bucket list is uh, actually to become a sommelier. Um, so Ooh. here in California, love uh, wine. And uh, when I look at the statistics around women sommeliers, there's something like 150 sommeliers here in the U.S. See, these are master sommeliers. Yes. Out of that, there are only 17 who are women. Wow. I think there's a tremendous opportunity there to go in and shake up that industry uh, a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. And, you know, wine tasting, there's a kind of storytelling behind that about Absolutely. the winery, about the grapes, about the region. So kind of right up my alley. I love that. And actually there's a, there's a mini performance with every bottle and whatever, yes. every, and every group is a different audience and they have different tastes and different yes. likes. So I could see it's a different show <laughs> every night. Every night's a different show, different bottle, different vintage. And exactly. Maybe that will be a theme of a podcast that I'll start doing. Oh, that would be a cool <laughs> podcast. So tune into that one. So I'll drink along with that one. Yes. You know, yes. You know, funny story on that. Um, you know, the, the whole meetup.com, the old days, I still around, but I remember yes. um, in my younger years, I actually signed up for a beginner's wine meetup oh. and end up going to some random apartment in, in New Hampshire here. <laughs> and there's a bunch of other random people there. And it was very much not that kind of hoity-toity wine tasting thing. It was just a bunch of regular people. And there was one person there that knew what he was talking about. And he was sort of, we, you know, you throw down 10 bucks and we all would have several different glasses and try and talk about the different tastes and everything. There's so much to it that you can learn. And I, yeah. I could see why you'd want to dive in and learn more about that. Yes. Yes. So trying to fit classes into my travel schedule right now, been a little difficult, but definitely on my list for something to do in the near future. Absolutely. You know, I, I was once, I swung by the the CIA, the Culinary Institute in America in yes. New York. And I, and I walked by the room where they had their, their wine class going on in there. You just see <laughs> glasses of wine on each desk. And like, I mean, this is the kind of school I should have signed up for. This is great. Absolutely. You would think everyone in that class is having fun. They're not stressed. <laughs> right. Right. You never know though. Like, oh, did I taste, did I taste uh, fruit or was that cinnamon? Uh, exactly. Oh my gosh. Worse after nine glasses. Exactly. What kind of wine was that? Right. Oh no. Is that a Malbec or a Shiraz? <laughs> like, oh no. <laughs> well, this has been awesome. I, I don't know if you looked at the clock, but just like a time warp. You just get it. Oh my gosh. And and we have so much fun. Could you throw out some links? You know, how can people connect with you, the LinkedIn's, the Twitter's, and also, you know, learn more about um, you know, your company, where you're at, and just maybe some of the different URLs. Great. Uh, so definitely come and visit the NetNumber website. And we are at uh, www.netnumber.com. Um, we are on Facebook, so you can search for NetNumber. We are on LinkedIn. You can search for NetNumber. And, of course, we are on Twitter, 
at NetNumber. And then if you want to connect with me, I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, so just look for Kim Gibbons, CMO at NetNumber, should be able to find me. Awesome. My Twitter handle is at Kim underscore Gibbons. Okay. Um, if you're going to be at Big 5G Conference, come and listen to the panel on women in telecom. Ooh, I, like uh, I think it. it'll be a really exciting, and not just for women in telecom, but kind of women in business in general. You're definitely a mover and a shaker. I could see why you instantly got your company into the, the cool group, the cool classification. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, you know, this has been awesome, a masterclass in events and authenticity and, you know, career uh, tips. We'll definitely want, you know, to get this information out to people. And I think the people that listen to this, if you learn something, and I know you did, because I have literally like full pages of notes over here. <laughs> like I'm running out of room on my, my paper. So um, share this with someone, you know, if you learn something and get this information into their hands, whether it's around the career or the events and definitely connect with Kim and, you know, Kim, thank you so much. This has been awesome. It's been so much fun to Thanks learn. Thanks for having me. This has been so much fun. Absolutely. And for everyone else out there, this has been the hardcore marketing show. We will catch you all next time. <laughs>